Uh, Craig Amick. And I'm Lori Amick. And uh, we have two beautiful daughters. And uh, what we're here to talk about today is the one that's in heaven. Our oldest daughter, her name was Shelby Danielle, and our youngest daughter, her name is Haley Christine. Both of the girls were the highlight of our lives, and we have such amazing memories of raising both of them. Shelby was born with a congenital heart defect, and um, we knew the minute she was born that something wasn't right. And for quite some time, we slept at the bed watching her breathe and everything. And eventually she blossomed into a pretty sweet little toddler. About the time she turned into a toddler though, we started to notice some things that just weren't quite going as we had hoped. And her doctor recommended that we do a couple of procedures. Shelby was a trooper. She she just went right through her first surgery in Cincinnati and then her 10 hours of surgery of open heart surgery at Children's Hospital. She just got up from that surgery and she just led a perfectly normal life. After high school, Shelby went off to Kent State and she was at Kent State for a couple of years. And then when she came back from Kent State, she started seeing a young guy and they eventually got married. And they were married for 18 months. And after, I don't know, shortly into the marriage, things seemed to get progressively worse and there weren't any real answers. My brother and sister, they knew a lot of doctors, uh, both here in Columbus and elsewhere, and helped us get in contact with some really fantastic people, physicians. And uh, over a period of, uh, I don't know, a couple of years, they're like, we think Shelby might need to start thinking about um, becoming a candidate for a heart transplant. She went through the surgery very, very well. And, um, you know, she was, uh, just laying in bed recovering and doing good and she was talking and texting and hanging out on Facebook and um, eventually she got up and took a few steps and so she had declared at that moment that by July 4th she was going to be out of the hospital and then we got the news that she had a bed sore and she uh, got this nasty fungal infection in it and she had no immune system and away we went for a while. I remember thinking to myself, well, I, I'm a Christian. Um, Jesus loves me. He's not going to let Shelby die. Shelby's a Christian. For countless hours, we laid at her bedside and I just held her hand. And I remember the scripture that you've heard 10 million times, the 23rd Psalm. But at that moment, that scripture took on new meaning. Because when he says, he leadeth me beside still water, I believe at that moment that Shelby was really transitioning. <laughs> Sorry. You know, the big question everybody asks is why? You know, we had no understanding why this would happen to us. I never did understand it, and I never will understand it, but when you bury a child, that's, that's probably one of the most painful things there is. But I have faith, I, I 
believe I, I know where she's at. I know where she's at. I have thought about the Israelites over and over and over in the six plus years that she's been gone. And, um, you know, how they must have felt looking for a way out. We literally wandered for a good three years, just staggered around. I kind of equate it to The Walking Dead. If you've ever seen The Walking Dead, it, it's kind of like that's how we felt. It, we just wandered aimlessly and staggered, had no idea where we were going. I was telling my circle group this morning that in all the times that I said, God, why are you silent? Where are you in this wilderness? Um, not too long ago, it kind of struck me. He said, if you would just be quiet enough to listen, I'm right here with you. He's been trying to tell me, it's okay. It's okay. Shelby knew Jesus, and that is our hope. Some of the stuff Shelby said when she was in the bed is just, was just hope, hope. At one time she was out and for a few days and her aunt was in there and she woke up and was really disappointed and looked at her aunt and said, they brought me back. <laughs> and I mean, things like that have given me so much hope and it was almost like she was sharing a journey with us at the time that she was going through something tragic so I believe a lot of that helped me through a lot of the darkness that when she passed. I've been a Christ follower and have been in church since I was yay high and um, I've read the Bible many times, I've read scriptures, I've attended classes, Bible studies, youth groups, you name it. But it just became routine, right? And then after this journey in our wilderness, the words became alive. And um, I just, when I'm reading scripture, there is something new every time that he wants to teach me. And, um, you know, we're not out of the wilderness. Um, as a matter of fact, we had another tragic event in our family just this January. But he keeps trying to, to teach me and to train me and to help me see that he is sovereign and that he is divine and that he will never forsake me nor leave me. Yeah, I'm sorry for making you cry. That was, that was a touching story, though, and just a reminder to me that no matter who you are in this walk of life, that we all have wildernesses that we walk through, some just so incredibly painful. And I'm just grateful for the Amex to be able to just open up their heart and share their story because at the end of the day, um, one of the things that unites us as a community is we all go through hard things, but one of the things that unites us is that we can find hope in the middle of those things. And I don't know if maybe you're in a season like that, but today is a special day and one that I hope will, will kind of put a little hope back into your spirit today. In fact, we're going to have a little bit of a conversation instead of a message. 
Uh, we're going to have a conversation. Today's a big day as well, a day where we're celebrating uh, just one, one of our pastors who's got a story of going through a wilderness and has turned that into a, a message of hope that I think will inspire many people, Pastor Russ. And so if you've been here the last few weeks, he's been sharing some messages from his heart and his story. And today I thought, why not sit down and let's get... Let's peel back the layers and let's get to some of the deeper part of that story. And so today as we're celebrating kind of the launch of his book, uh, we're going to have a little bit of a conversation of hope. So would you all do me a favor and would you guys just welcome Pastor Russ as he comes on out to, let's give him some love today. Proud of you. Why don't you have a seat? Um, thank you. You dress like me. I know. We... We did. We, we decided that we were going to look alike, and you guys like these hoodies uh, that he designed. Uh, don't die in the desert. So, yeah, they're, they're pretty awesome, and uh, we look good. So, obviously, everybody here really knows already, but you wrote a book called uh, Wilderness of Hope. Um, <laughs> it's Wilderness of Hope. I think we have a, a yeah. picture of it, Wilderness of Hope. Okay. Of Fly fishing in public lands of the American West. So I am so excited because I've never been fly fishing, and I'm really excited to learn about. Well, is it true that since you showed that, that uh, the first five people that buy the real book today, you're going to take to Montana on a fly fishing yes, trip? Yes, yes. So Amazing. You, oh, that is not happening. <laughs> anyway, so I'm sorry, I got it wrong. It's called Hope for the Wilderness. Yeah. And uh, it's exciting to finally be at this point in the journey because I... I I've been kind of with you for a while in this journey, and, you know, I think, I think a lot of us, we've all been through things in our lives. We're talking about wilderness, and we all have different painful struggles that we go through, but it, it takes something to, to really process your painful struggle, and then what God does to bring you out of it, and then the discipline it takes to turn that into a story that can inspire others. And so we're really grateful for the message Thank that you. you have, grateful for the messages you've been sharing about hope. And I thought we could just dive a little bit deeper into um, your story, as it's called Hope for the Wilderness. Obviously, you had a wilderness mm -hmm. in going through this. Yeah. And I thought maybe, I, I feel like you, know, you did such a great job with the messages the past few weeks, but I don't feel like we've really got to unpack a little bit of what your wilderness was like. And so maybe if you could just share for a, a little bit without dropping it all because you're gonna need to get a copy and read the book if you wanna hear the whole story. But maybe if you could just share a little bit about what your wilderness was like. Yeah, um, first off, hi. Um, you know, I think, I, I've told you before at times, one of the things, anybody ever felt um, insecure about your story? Like, like you feel like your story's not big enough or it's not, I, I've been honest with you, some of, um, some of my psychological hurdles in writing the book is um, we do this funny thing where we compare pain, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And it's really stupid to do, but we do it. And so it, one of the things that the book deals with is pain. And I told you it was really tough for me at first because I'm like, I've not been through what so many people in this room have been through, through what they've been through in the video. But uh, for me, it was... I feel like it's a lot of a cumulative effect of little mini wildernesses that led to a big crash of a big wilderness. Mm. It was, I went to uh, a counselor. I've actually been to a couple counselors. So shout out for no one to ever be embarrassed to go to a counselor. Yeah. Um, Amen. But I went to, 
one of the first times I went to a counselor, you know, they try to get you to name what it is you're feeling. And I think the one word that, that summarized these cumulative wildernesses was disappointment. I just had a really heavy, overwhelming sense of disappointment. And I think uh, it started probably back 2008. This, this, this sounds like a rom-com, but <laughs> I, um, I was in a relationship that I thought would turn to marriage and um, sold a truck. And you probably can't picture me with the truck. Sold a truck, get a ring. Um, the relationship ended. Wait, per- wait, that sounds like a country song. I know. It, you I know, sold a truck to get yeah. a ring. Yeah. Got it. I know. Okay. Yeah. And I never got my dog back. Um, oh, but, so. so you drank whiskey. All right, we got it. That's, that's all in the book. If you want to hear that whole story, it's in the book. So. Um, but it, just, it sounds dramatic telling it, but uh, here I go minimizing it. Um, but this, it just was a really um, heartbreaking season of I waited a long time to find that companions to do life with, and then I'm not telling anything that nobody in this room has been through, but uh, just heartbreak is one of the worst things in life. In the middle of that, then, so, so, so I was going through all of this, and uh, I'm, I'm in my early 20s, and then uh, in the middle of this season, the person who'd been my youth pastor for, uh, I mean, he'd been like youth pastor slash mentor for 10 or 15 years, he decides we're going to go plant a church in Lexington, Kentucky. And so we, we go and plant this church and I had all these dreams of here's what's going to be, you know, that we're going we're gonna to change the city of Lexington. It's, it's going to be incredible. And, and by the way, here's where I'll find Mrs. Moore. And, and, uh, and here's where all these incredible things are going to take place. And I watched my mentor actually go through his own wilderness. So the person that had been like a hero to me in the course of five months, his wife uh, got diagnosed with breast cancer. He had his first major surgery. Then his mom died. Then we leave to plant a church in the middle of the economic recession in 2008. And when we get on the ground, the denomination that was going to support us said they didn't remember the conversation of saying they were going to help us. Mm. We get there, and, the, and he has a family member, his dad, who turns his back on him. And I say all this to say because I got to watch his wilderness. And then, uh, and he, he wouldn't mind me saying this because we have these kind of honest conversations. His wilderness kind of bled into our wilderness because we get up there to plant a church and you know, there is, there is no spiritual headwind. If you've ever been a part of a church plant, like when you decide that I'm going to plant and invest my life in the yeah. local church. I, I heard one of my heroes, Lou Giglio, who, who used to, um, you know, go and do worship conferences all over the world. He said, I thought I knew spiritual attack, and then I planted a church. And he said, and that led into depression. That led into spiritual warfare like I've never experienced. So go to Lexington um, and... God did some amazing things, but honestly, uh, a lot of pain, a lot of heartbreak. 20 families moved with us. The pain and the betrayal and the turmoil of that season was so intense that none of the marriages that went up to Lexington survived when they came back. It's about 10 couples. And I developed my own scars, and I know, I know everybody in this place is, is like a holy Christian, and you've never had any secret vices of how you deal with your pain. Yeah. I haven't, but yeah, um, I'm with the rest of them. During this season, <laughs> it's too holy. I don't need to relax. Yeah. Um, during this season, there's just be honest. There's some ways I, I handled it well, and there's some other ways that um, I'm not gonna tell you all of it. You got to get the book, but um, th- there's some ways that some really intense um, scars 
snuck into my story. Mm. And by the third or fourth year up there, the pain of my hero got so intense, he had to leave Kentucky. And in my most broken, dark season, where honestly I felt spiritually bankrupt and betrayed, had gone through another um, just really tumultuous relationship, the, 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 the weight of this broken church fell on my shoulders. Mm. And, um, and I just about collapsed under the weight. Um, I stayed because I didn't want to leave them in a broken time, but when I felt like it was sturdy enough to leave, I ended up moving to, Lex- to Atlanta, Georgia, and I'm like, okay, now I got big hopes for here. I- I'm saying all this because I-, I think for all of us, even though our stories look different, the biggest threat to us keeping um, full hopes is the continual disappointment of our hopes. Yeah. Anybody else? Yeah. Like, you believed and you believed and you believed, but then you were let down, let down, let down. Yeah. And it can be really hard to just say, well, I'm going to believe again because this time it's going to be different. Yeah. So I moved to, moved to Atlanta. It was a season of healing. And then uh, um, in the first year and a half, that pastor said, I'm leaving. <laughs> I'm moving to Dallas. And the, and the weight of that church fell on me, which I'm privileged of my life to be able to step in and, and interim pastor. But um, it, it was actually the brother of the, of the person in Lexington, and I joke with them. Uh, their last name's Claypool. I joke with them that I, I had a Claypool abandonment complex. And they never laughed when I said it, but, um, but uh, <laughs> so I laughed. But, and I still have a great relationship with them to this day. Yeah. Great, great men of God, just human. Yeah. Um, and so, again, I, I found myself in that season, and then I found myself in a season where, for the first time in, in 10 years, um, I'll let myself um, uh, step into a relationship that, again, I thought would, would uh, end in marriage, and, and, and it didn't. And, um, and in the middle of all of this, for me, the biggest wilderness season was internal. Yeah. You, you ever had people look at you and, and, or you looked at somebody else and you're like, man, what do you have to complain about? Your life is fine. Yeah. But internally, I mean... The people that we would think would be the, the happiest, the, the Hollywood movie stars, the actresses. If you ever said to them, what, what did they have to complain about? Right. But inside, they may be going through an – some of you, you, people look on the outside and think you got it all together. Yeah. I mean, immaculate hairline and just money and everything else. You know, just, that's what I think about you. I'm just like, man. Oh, um, really? I, I, I do think that um, a lot of times it's one thing we try to kind of push beyond here yeah. at this church is that – uh, we try to tell people, be real, be you. Yeah. And you don't have to be fake. You don't have to right. pretend. This is a church full of imperfect right. people. And I think we do. We actually tend to do that a lot. We'll, we'll, we'll come to church and we feel like I have to have it all together because everybody yeah. else must have it all together. But we, what we can't see is that internal wilderness yeah. and that struggle. And it might be uh, walking through a lot of different things. It could just be battling depression. It could yeah. be battling suicidal thoughts. It could be bad. And, and I really believe that probably even right now or watching this even online that that there are many of you that probably have an internal wilderness mm. and nobody really knows yeah. because we're, we're embarrassed, we're ashamed, mm-hmm. we're, yeah. why don't I have it all together? And mm-hmm. I imagine that's probably a little bit of how you felt in that yeah. season. And um, depression runs on my dad's side of the family and, and I, I'd seen it uh, take over that side, but I just, I've always been that, you know, bubbly, joyful, hopeless optimist and so I've all, I always suppressed it or thought I could pray it away. But, but in the middle of a cumulative eight years of disappointment after disappointment after disappointment, relational heartbreak, ministry heartbreak, betrayal, 
pain, new city, this is going to work out, new leader, this is going to work out. In the middle of that Atlanta season, all my, when, when the pastor left, all my friends left. And then the heartbreak, and then um, the depression. I don't know if there's something about your earlier mid-20s, but depression set in. And th- there is this verse, just in case anybody can relate to this. I, um, I was actually in, in Lexington, Kentucky, and um, I was in one of those days. I know guys aren't supposed to admit this, but I, I went through a season both in Lexington and Atlanta. I can't explain internally what was happening in me, but where I just throughout the day I would weep and not know why. And I don't know if anybody's been there. Maybe you've been there recently or you just, you don't need, you can't even articulate what's going on in your soul. And um, my last year in Lexington, I, I was, I had this little apartment that was overlooking the, the parking lot and just was, just felt pathetic. Just was crumbling internally. And I came across this verse. I'm sure I've read it. Um, I'm sure I've read it before. Uh, but it's Lamentations 3, and it did something to me. It, it gave words to some of my feelings, but then it also, I think, was the first spark of me understanding the power of hope. Mm. Is it said this in Lamentations 3, verse 19. It says, I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. The message paraphrase says it this way. I remember the taste of ashes and what it felt like to hit rock bottom. He says, look, I can... I, I, anybody look back on a painful season of your life? I'm not trying to make you think back, but you can still feel it. Yeah. Like you can feel the, the agony. You can feel the pain. And he says, look, I can feel it. He says, I well remember them. If I travel back in time right now, and I'm not asking you to do this, I can, yeah. I, it's tangible. It's on my skin. I remember it. And my soul is downcast within me. And then he says this, and this was like this just, you ever sometimes been going through a dark tunnel, but you, all you just need is like just a little, bit, a little bit of light to know that there's light at the end of the tunnel. And this was that. It says, um, yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those who hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. Another translation says, yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. Yeah. And I was like, my life in that moment, I, I don't even know even to this day how to articulate the depression that I was walking through. But I thought to myself, wait, I can dare to hope. I may not have a reason to hope. Yeah. I may not feel like uh, there's a lot of um, evidence for what I'm hoping for, for life to get better, but I can dare to hope. Yeah, that's so good. In fact, in that season, you, you talk about almost going through this, this accumulative wilderness, and I think that probably a lot of people can relate to that because it, it, you know, it, it always feels like, you know, we, people would joke and say, you know, bad things happen in threes. You know, it's a superstitious thing. It was like one bad thing happens, then another, you're like, okay, now what? And I find that our, our hope bucket, as you talked about week one, begins to drain as more and more things just kind of unravel in our life. So in that kind of wilderness, what are just maybe just some of the things that gave you hope? Yeah. What, what are the things, like when did it begin to shift for you to, yeah. to like, I can see my way out of this wilderness? Right. Um, and, and I have to add just maybe a little asterisk too. In that Atlanta season, I made a really big mistake. Mm-hmm that opened up this wilderness. Is that okay to admit from platform? Yeah. And what happened 
is you'll have to read the book, but okay. um, but that was pretty uh, awful. Thank you. So, for sorry, teasing. Um, but because um, anybody ever notice sometimes your um, your wilderness seasons are um, accumulation of factors, some things that happen to you, some things that you happen to you. Yeah. Um, sometimes we're our own worst enemies. And uh, the way we respond to one wilderness actually creates an even bigger wilderness. Yeah. Um, but I, I think a couple things helped me um, when, when life hit bottom. I think number one, um, I was actually just thinking about it this morning, and this is, I know we're just having an honest conversation. This is not me. This is, this is a problem when you have a preacher because you, you start talking and then you, you, okay, but. You got 12 minutes. So. I got 12 minutes, but, but, but. But I got to say this, and, and, and I was thinking about it this morning, this is so important, and then I thought about, I, I, it may be mad that I didn't put it in the book, <laughs> but I think it's so important, is um, Levi Lusco, who wrote a book called uh, Through the Eyes of a Lion, he, uh, he talked about when his little six-year-old girl died, and he made this statement, he said, we are always preparing or should be preparing for the trial we're not yet in. Mm. So one of the things... If anybody needs um, a poster boy for that God can still use jacked up, messed up people, I'm your person. Because um, I'm far from perfect, flawed. But one of the things I think that has helped me that by the grace of God is I have over the years had a daily relational track with God. Yeah. And the reason that's helped me is anybody ever tried to cram for a test you weren't ready for? <laughs> yeah. You know, like maybe you remember college, high school, you're like, oh, today's the quiz? Crap. Um, or tomorrow's the quiz and you try to cram for it. I think sometimes we try to do that spiritually. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like we don't, we don't have a, a walk with God. We're not in his word daily. We're not applying. We're not really following Jesus. We're not, we're, we're, we're not preparing for And then uh, wilderness hits. We're like, oh, God, okay, church, here I come. Um, God, I, I love you. Help me, and that's awesome. God responds to that. God's full of grace and full of mercy. We call on his name. He shows up. He doesn't say, well, you've not been doing the right thing. God is a God of mercy. He shows up. But I think one of the things that helped me is because, you know, David said, I have hid your word in my heart. In other words, can I say it this way? I think one of the things that helped me in the wilderness is I had already for years been stuffing my backpack for the trip. Yeah. Come on. That's good. Maybe I think sometimes... Because maybe, maybe you've had a devotional time, and I, for me, I know every time I, I get in the Word every day, like, the heavens part, and yeah, the do. light shines down, sure angels do. fill the room, and it's like, Gabriel takes a highlighter and says, there you go. Mm. But in case you're not like me, mm. and you've ever wondered, Am I, did I get anything from this Sunday? Did I get anything from this meal? Even if you didn't feel anything, yeah. you are stuffing your backpack for a wilderness yeah. you will eventually get in. That's good. And... The question is not, am I going to go through the wilderness? It's just a question of when, when you're going to go through the wilderness. Yeah. And when you go through the wilderness, you're going to hope you got some protein in the pack. You're going to hope you got some meat in the pack. You're I, going to hope you got some water in the pack. Yeah, I always think about the story of Daniel getting thrown in the lion's den, or before that. But when the edict is you can't pray to any god other than this, and the first thing he does, he goes home and he opens the windows to his, uh, his second floor home and he prays in front of everybody. And it's because he had a rhythm. He did it three times a day. Yeah. And you can't wait until you're in the den of the lions yeah. to, to, to find faith. Yeah. 
You can't do that. That's a crisis faith. That's not the kind of faith that's going to really sustain you or meet you in the middle of the yeah. wilderness. So I guess the message really is if you feel like you're not in the wilderness, this is the time where yeah. you, you need to lean in to your relationship with Jesus. This is the time where it's like, well, I don't, it's okay if I don't go to church. It's okay if I don't really read my Bible. It's okay. No, it's not okay. Yeah, no. Because you're going to face something in your life. We all will. Yeah, just like I, the Amex story, I just think mm-hmm. not only losing a, a child, but then I don't know if you caught this. They said even earlier this year they had another tragedy in the family. So you, you, our life is a series of tragedies. Yeah. I wish it weren't so, but that's part of being human. That's right. part of living and dying. Our life is a series of tragedies. And how do we have sustained hope? As you said, yeah. it's a rhythm with God. That, yeah. that is so important. You, you and I are going to want to have revelation and power and substance and intimacy with God and promises from God in the light yeah. so that you'll have it when you get in the dark. Yeah, that's good. It is a whole lot harder to try to cram and get your way out of the dark when you don't already have a ton of flashlights in the pack. Mm. And, and I think that's one of the things that helped me is is I also, you walk with Jesus long enough, you see the track record of God. Yeah. And even in the darkest moments, you get to remind your soul, because I love, it says, I, I ask myself, why are you downcast so much? I get to remind myself, God got me through that. Yeah. God got me through that season I thought I'd never make it through. He got me through that season. So yeah. I think stuffing the pack is, part of what helped me have hope is I already had a backpack full of hope. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I think a second thing is, you know, part of it is this whole thing I've preached here before of Caleb's spirit. Mm. One morning I came to church and I just faked it. You ever done that? You know, a bunch of holy Pharisees. You never, <laughs> you just you get around, you just, you, you've been cussing on the way to church and somebody says, hey, like, oh, hey, brother, it's good to, I, God's good. You heard the new worship song? It's amazing. Second wind, you know. <laughs> um, so I, I, I don't want to, I had one of those days. I got up and. I remember it was fall, and I made those, you know, cheesy pastor jokes. Anybody ready for pumpkin spice lattes? All right. Uh, yeah, it's fall. You know, it's beautiful. <laughs> I left. Uh, I was so empty inside. Yeah. My life got so traumatic. Um, some of what I went through was so traumatic, I had to, I had to take a, a month or two off ministry. Uh, I'm trying not to downplay it or over, overplay it, but... Um, I just returned from ministry and my heart was still so broken and so empty and I went and drove to this little place and we had a leadership meeting later that night and I just opened my Bible and I just, I said, I begged God, God, you have to speak. And that's when I opened up my Bible to Numbers 13 that talked about the children of Israel, that first generation dying, but then Caleb had a different spirit. And God said, because my servant Caleb has a different spirit, he will make it through. And that's when God spoke to me. This may sound weird, as clear as day, and said, you, Rush, you may not be able to choose your season, but you can choose your spirit. And your spirit, if you choose a right spirit, if you choose a different spirit like Caleb, it won't just get you through the wilderness. It'll get you into the promised land. Mm. And for me, that, that revelation became a lot. In other words, I guess one of the things that helped me w- w- is, is shift things is I will say sometimes, most of the time maybe, your internal wilderness will shift before your external wilderness. Mm. And many times, I love what John Maxwell says, I can't always choose what happens to me, but I can always choose what happens in me. Yeah. And that will eventually spill out of me and shape the world around me. 
And so what happened to me was so traumatic that I realized, it's kind of fight or flight, maybe it's the Enneagram 3 or whatever in me. I was like, I have a choice to make yeah. that I'm not going to focus on what I can't choose, but, but what I, I can choose. And the internal things that I allowed God begin to do in me, part of it was just um, in that season that helped me is I, I had to choose my soundtrack. And what I mean by that is I had to choose, for a season, what I was going through felt so heavy. I'm not, I'm not legalistic about music. Any punk rock fans for life in here? No? Mm, no. Um, <laughs> punk rock? Yeah, really? Punk rock kid for life. But, um, okay. <laughs> but, sorry, it's okay to have joy. But in that season, I just knew I have to be really intentional with what goes in my spirit. Yeah, that's good. And so I just chose a season where my, the only thing that's going to be playing in the speakers of my car and in my AirPods is going to be the faithfulness and the soundtrack of the worship of God. Yeah. Because in this season, I'm tempted to make my problems really big, and I need worship to lift my perspective and make God really big. Mm. I had to choose the soundtrack of my thought life. I realized that my thoughts were very self-defeating. My thoughts, if I, if I didn't steer my thoughts, my thoughts would say things to me like, you're not going to make it. You're not going to make it through the season. Nothing's ever going to change. Nothing's ever going to be different. You're, there's no reason for you to have hope. I had to steer and choose my, I had to really choose my soundtrack. And one, one of the soundtracks was this. This may sound really weird, but talking about hope and disappointment. This song came out, um, I mean, this is like five or six years ago by um, Bethel called King of My Heart. We've done it before here. But it's this song that says, God, you're the, because God will give you a song in the night. I yeah. believe that. He'll give you a promise to hold on to in the darkest hours. And, and this song just became my song in the night. And um, some of the lines, it says this. It says, you're never going to let, you're never going to let me down. Yeah. And it says, you are good, you are good. And I don't know about you, but sometimes in the most painful seasons of my life is when I am tempted to believe the first lie that led to the break of God's relationship with Adam and Eve in the garden, yeah. which is this subtle lie that God really isn't good and really doesn't have good things for me. Mm. And that at the end of the day, no matter what a preacher says on stage, no matter what God's word says, I'm going to be let down. And I had, Isaiah 43 says this great thing. It says, those who hope in the Lord will not be disappointed. Yeah. Now, you live lo life long enough, you're tempted to think in this moment, but I've been disappointed. Mm. But for me, what it came to was this place of Romans 8, 28. God uses everything together, the good, the bad, and the ugly, for his glory and my good. In other words, if I put my hope, not in circumstances, but if I put my hope squarely on God, then at the end of the day, no matter how many, disappointings happen, how many disappointing things happen along the way, I am ultimately not going to be disappointed yeah. because if I put my ultimate trust in God, first of all, he is the sum of all my desires and dreams and everything I need and also, in addition to that, he will add to me everything I need and not just meet my expectations but exceed my expectations. Yeah. And so I had to decide that that's going to be my song in the night. That's going to be where I'm going to put my, my hope. So I, I guess my rambling answer would be um, uh, internally things had to happen, and I had to make a decision what the soundtrack of my life was going to be. Yeah. I love the statement I think you said one of the previous weeks. Um, you said hope is not discovered, it's decided. Yeah. And I, I think what you're talking about is that hearing from God and making a decision to reframe your situation, to say, I, I know it looks bleak, but God's not done. Mm. 
and that God's going to do something yeah. in us. And yeah. I just think that uh, one of the things that I just want to say that I, I appreciated as I read this whole book, and um, I appreciate your vulnerability. I appreciate, I mean, the, the way you kind of open up your soul and let people see even the struggles, the doubts, the mistakes. Um, because I, I think that that is what we as humans connect with. Yeah. You know, we impress people with our strengths, but we connect with people through our weaknesses. Mm-hmm. And I, there is a lot in the story that you have kind of leveraged. And so just maybe as, as we kind of wrap up this conversation, yeah. what can people expect if they pick up a copy of this book? And what, yeah. what can they expect? Um, this be the greatest book you've ever read. And it's just... Um, it's just no, it's true. It Until is. another book comes out next year. <laughs> yeah. It's it um, the second greatest book you've ever. Sorry. Oh! What? No. I didn't say anything. Go ahead. I love it. Um, no, it, it is vulnerable. I'll be honest. I came up here last night to just kind of um, get my mind wrapped around this conversation, and I got a little nervous because mm. it hit me. Oh, oh people are going to, some people are going to read this. <laughs> um, and it is very vulnerable. Yeah. Um, you know, I think uh, th- three things I would say um, I think people can expect to, to read the book. Number one, I don't know if this is a good thing or a bad thing, but for better or worse, uh, they can expect it to sound like me. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I had a sweet lady ask me right after. Yeah. Oh, okay. It's, hey, all right. Like they like you. Um, so you'll love that or hate that, but one of the pieces of feedback that's meant the world to me is people are like, oh my gosh, this doesn't sound like anybody else. This sounds like you. I can, Hunter, he got a copy. He's like, I can hear your voice as you talk. I had somebody yeah. ask me last week, they're like, um, honey, does it have your humor in it? And I was like, oh yeah, it's, um, it's got, it's me. Mm-hmm. For, you know. And uh, so I think the, the best books I read are the, are the ones where I feel like the author is just sitting down with me, like yeah. person to person across the table, like a cup of coffee. And, and so that's, that's how um, it's designed to feel is that, you know, we get to, even if I never get to meet someone that, that reads it, that we're sitting across the table, we're just two humans talking. Um, and uh, there are some things I feel like God has done in me and through me that can help someone. Yeah. I really do believe that. I wouldn't have written if, if I didn't believe that, um, that there was a message from the heart of God. I wouldn't have. Um, number two, I, I do think that some people will, um, they can expect to be a little surprised and shocked because it, it is... Mm. It is very vulnerable. Yeah. Um, it, uh, it, it, to be honest, I, I took a risk. So I started writing the book five years ago. And, you know, one of the big stories from 2016 was never going to be a part of the book. Yep. I heard T.D. Jakes. Probably nobody in this room knows who T.D. Jakes is. The bishop. Everybody bishop T.D. Jakes. I heard him tell a story one time. And his, I'm not going to try to impersonate him. Get ready. Get ready. Yeah, never. Um, he, ta- he talked about when he was first starting out in ministry. And his, his pastor called him... Uh, Sneaking cigarettes. Mm. And said, now that's a small thing that you're going like, to, I'm trying to do the T.D. Jakes impression, that you're going to let affect, you know, your destiny. And then he, he said something jokingly like, he said, no, nah, I couldn't have told that story 10 years ago. None of y'all laugh, but this, some of these stories, some of the stories that are in here, I, I planned on waiting a good 10 to 15 years. You know, when you go through traumatic things in life or you, um, or you make mistakes, you need to bring those things into the light with faith-filled friends and with yeah. spiritual authority and oversight. Yeah. It's, good. it's true. It's good. Um, but when it comes to publicly what you share, there's wisdom and timing. Yeah. Um, and 
I, I want to say at the 11th hour, last minute, you told me, you're like, no, it's got to go in there. Mm-hmm. And I was like, get behind me, Satan. That's not, that's not. Um, and then I just, you know, there's, the scripture says there's safety in the multitude of counselors. And I just, um, all the people around me like, no, you, you need to put some more of your, of your story in there. Yeah. And so it's a risk. Um, but like you said, people, you can impress them with your strengths, but you connect through your vulnerability. And I think, and, and I just say this, and, and the third thing I would say, and let me, let me circle back to the story thing real quick and, and we'll wrap up. But the third thing that I think people can expect, the greatest, um, I mean, the truth is the book, by the way, Hope for the Wilderness, Through All the Pain, All, all the Promise. Here's what I tell people, if you want to sum it up in, in one sentence, it's just a, it's a book to help people through a tough season. I love saying it like that because there may be people that don't believe in Jesus in this room. I just want you to know, I think this book will help you because it's just, we all go through tough seasons. But a few of the people that I sent off for peer review, what they sent back to me was the most, it sounds weird, but it's not what I was expecting because it's not really the gist of the book. But the most beautiful um, feedback I heard from the first two or three people that, that wrote me back was, by the time I got done reading this book, I love Jesus more. Amen. Um. And that makes me emotional because, it, first off, it's not even really what it's about. Um, but I believe whether you even believe in God or not or you follow Jesus for 30 years, that, that, that has become my prayer since I've heard that, is that you will love Jesus more Amen. by the time you end up. I, I was praying this morning because it feels weird in a way to be up here talking because everybody's got a story. So I'm not saying this to sound spiritual, but the reason that this morning matters is not because uh, I was reading Psalm 27 where it says, when, when the Lord restored our fortunes, we were like those who dreamed and our mouths were filled with laughter. And we said, look what the Lord has done. And this is not about, what, look what Russ has done. This, this series is about, look what the Lord has done and can do Amen. in all of our wilderness seasons. And, and uh, last thing I want to say, going back to the part two of... Um, you know, talking about the story, is my hope is for all of us, uh, you know, I asked this at the beginning, have you ever felt insecure about your story? So it was, it's weird that the pendulum I went on as I'm writing this book, because part of me, I told you, is I felt very insecure, because I'm like, man, I've not been through it. This person's been through it. That person's been through it. Who am I to even mention pain? Because I've, I've been, I've had a very fortunate life. And um, then on the other side of that, I was like, oh, wait, I can't put that in there. <laughs> yeah. And I think so many times there's things that cause us to be hesitant to share our story because we either think one of two things, our story is either too boring or too bad. Mm. Anybody in the room relate to that? Yeah. My story is too bad to tell or it's too boring to tell. Yeah. But Psalm 127, it says in Psalms this, let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. And I just want to encourage you, maybe you're that person that was raised in church and you never blew up your life and you never made crazy decisions. Your story matters because yeah. your story shows that you don't have to be stupid and you can follow Jesus and let God and the scriptures and the wisdom of the Holy Spirit keep you and from blowing up your life and you can live a life that's filled with blessing and, and, and honor and peace and reward. Yeah. Or maybe you're on the other extreme and you think, man, I am too far gone, I'm too messed up, can I just blow up your bubble today, I bet you're not worse than Saul who went around killing Christians for a living. Yeah. But he said, because I was the worst of all sinners, now it is by grace, it is the glory of God rests on my weaknesses. Mm-hmm. And, and I think this is so important. I'm going to get really spiritual for a second. This is going to freak some of you out. I don't care. The moment I decided to put that story in, 
the chapter that I didn't want to put in. Mm-hmm. I sent it to one of my friends in Georgia um, that knew the story, and I just said, read it, see if you think I wrote this in a way that's helpful. And she called me back. And it's going to sound weird. She's not, she, this is not a weird person, one of those, you know, weird Christians. And she was weeping. And she said, I just had one of the most intense encounters with God I've had in two years. She said, I began weeping on the second page. And she said, this may sound really weird. And she said, I felt like God gave me a vision. And in this vision, there were people, hundreds of people walking with their heads down, their faces covered with mud, symbolizing shame. And then she said, but it was like as they walked and the words poured over their soul, rain came down and they were able to lift their eyes again and they became light and their spirit and the shame lifted and the rain washed away the mud and they began to dance. I know it sounds so weird, but if you're anything like me, I need to be reminded sometimes that I'm not defined by my worst moments. I'm defined by Jesus' best moment. Come on. I need to be reminded sometimes that it doesn't matter what you've been through. God has this supernatural way of restoring and mending and healing. And I just got to tell somebody, because we're about to wrap up, aren't we? Yes. Okay. I just got to tell somebody this. Uh, Sarah Laughlin says that um, uh, hope is the feeling you have that the feeling you have is not permanent. I'm going to say that again. Hope is the feeling you have that the feeling you have is not permanent. Because the opposite of that utter hopelessness to the extreme where some people even decide that what they feel is the eternal end of things and there's no way out but suicide. Why does that happen? Because they're convinced that the way they feel in that moment, they'll always feel. And this may sound really weird, but I just want to look in everybody in the eye, whether I've met you before or not. And I want to tell you what my uh, youth pastor told me in my early 20s. He would look me in the eye with that kind of fatherly voice of authority and he would say son I need you to hear this the way you feel now you won't feel this way forever yeah and I got to tell somebody the way you feel now hear me you won't feel that way forever you will not die in the desert if you need to borrow my hope borrow my hope there is nothing you've been through or going through that God can't bring hope he can't redeem it he can't restore it I don't care how dark your past I don't care how long you've been circling around the same mountain there is hope and you don't have to feel that way forever and if I could just give encouragement two things when you're going through the most hopeless in the in when you're not doing well anybody ever notice this the things you need to do the most are the things you feel like doing the least. Yeah. I don't feel close to God, so I'm not going to go to church. I feel ashamed because I made a big mistake, so I'm going to step away from community. I'm feeling really, really down, so I'm going to isolate and not go hang out with my friend when they ask me to go see a movie with him. Anybody? Can I just give you an encouragement? This is super practical. In the seasons that you feel low, do the opposite of what your flesh feels like doing. Yeah. When you feel like isolating, go find a faith-filled friend and talk to him and hang out anyways. Yeah. Well, I don't feel like it. I want to sit home and isolate and blah, blah, blah. Then do the opposite. Yeah. I, I don't feel like going to church because, man, I've just been hurt by church and, man, my life's a mess. Go to church. I'm angry at God. Great. 
Your anger even itself can be an offering to God. Every emotion you have that would drive you away from community and God, let it drive you towards community and God. If you need to spend an hour in God's presence just telling him how disappointed you are, how angry you are, do that. I remember um, I was driving home from Lexington one time and I just, I, 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 from, from, or no, from Atlanta to Greenville, it's a three-hour drive. I'm shutting up soon, I promise. Um, you, you know why the book is so thick? <laughs> this is why. I, I, uh, he has got no shortage of words. Last thing. Yeah, your last thing. Last thing. I'll, I'll, I'll have to I'll cut promise. you off. I was driving home. We're not preaching anymore. Yeah, I know. I was driving home from Atlanta to Greenville, and I just, I was listening to worship, and I turned it off, and I said, God, I just got to be, me and you, straight up, I just got to be brutally honest. I am so disappointed right now. Yeah. I am just I am just so disappointed. I said, if I can say it, I'm really disappointed in you. I don't have a right to be. You don't owe me anything. You have yeah. been better to me than I could ever deserve. But I am just, I'm just so disappointed. Mm. And I said, and I hope that's okay. I turned back on um, uh, the stereo, the sound in my car, and up popped this uh, Stephen Furtick, some of y'all heard of him, the Stephen Furtick message I never heard. His opening line in the message, I'm not kidding you, he said, you know, sometimes it's okay to just sit in your car and tell God how disappointed you are. <laughs> he said, sometimes it's okay to just tell God I'm so disappointed. Yeah. And you know what I've learned? God can handle the yeah. rawness of my emotions. Uh, FYI, he knows in many ways. Yeah. Why, instead of talking behind his back and complaining, why don't you just bring it to his presence Amen. and process it in a healthy way? Come on. It's good. I mean, okay. Awesome. Hey, come on. Well, I just, I, his story, you know, here at this church, we don't glorify man, we glorify God, but we do um, celebrate and honor what God does in man and does through people. And that's the testimony of what God does. And this book is really about his testimony. So I just want to encourage you, um, if even today you feel inspired, you go, maybe you're going to pick up a copy of it. And if you know someone who's struggling, somebody who needs some hope, this could be a great resource as well. And so thank you for opening up your heart, sharing your story. We are honored to have you releasing this today. God bless you. Amen. Amen. Yeah, why don't you all stand to your feet? Listen. We didn't want to just talk about and have a conversation about hope without having just a moment, an opportunity for us to connect with God. And so we're going to do that here in this moment. We're going to sing in just a moment a song before we release. But I, I wanted to read a passage to you just out of Isaiah 40. And I love this because it's a promise, a promise that God would give to the nation of Israel in their, their hopeless time. And it says this, that he gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary. Those who should have all the energy in the world, even they can grow tired. And young men stumble and fall. I feel like we just heard that. He's talking about his journey and mistakes and the things that happen. But I love this verse 31, it turns. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and will not faint. In other words, you're gonna make it. If you don't stay in the desert, you won't die in the desert. Thanks so much for tuning into this message. I hope that it encouraged you and inspired your faith. 
If God is doing something in your life, would you take a moment and let us know? We want to connect with you and we want to be able to pray for you. All you have to do is shoot us an email to hello at the x.church or you can always send us a DM on one of our social media platforms. And if you know somebody that would also be encouraged by this very message, why not take a moment and just share it with them right now? And as always, I want to say thank you to every single person who so generously financially supports this ministry so we can continue to get messages like these out to people all over the world. We believe God is building something special and you're a significant part of it. Until next time, have a great day.